On July 24, 1857, the Latter-day Saints were in the canyon above Salt Lake City to celebrate 10 years of arriving in the valley. Brass bands played, parades marched, and prominent citizens gave celebrations, speeches, and prayers to mark the passing of a tremendous decade. But at noon, two men rode into the celebration, Abraham Smoot and Porter Rockwell. They brought heavy news from the East. President James Buchanan had determined that the Saints were in a state of rebellion and was sending an army against them. In this, our fourth season, we remember the conflict known as the Utah War. I'm Nate Olson, and this is Adventures in Mormon History. The Utah War is one of the strangest footnotes in American history, and almost entirely forgotten. But it was the largest military campaign the United States undertook between the Mexican War and the American Civil War. It took a third of the entire U.S. Army and one dogged Marine and pitted them against the Latter-day Saint Nauvoo Legion, a force that, according to historian Bill McKinnon, was arguably the nation's largest and most experienced militia. Ultimately, the conflict would destroy Buchanan's reputation and push the United States towards disunion and civil war. On the other hand, it would forever change the Latter-day Saints and begin a long and painful process of bringing them and the Utah Territory under civil, secular authority. But what caused the Utah War? If you had to choose one single reason, it would be misunderstanding. This happened most spectacularly in January of 1857, when the Utah Territorial Legislature, made up overwhelmingly of Latter-day Saint pioneers, began the new year by writing a petition and memorial to Congress in Washington, D.C. The request was for Utah to be admitted to the Union as a state. The memorial began by reminding Congress that the Latter-day Saints had come to their aid during the Mexican-American War by furnishing 500 volunteer soldiers, while at the same time, their fellow Latter-day Saints were being driven by an armed militia from their homes in Nauvoo, Illinois, all while the state and the federal authorities did nothing to intervene. Even so, they had traveled 1,300 miles to the Great Basin Wilderness and after 10 years of toil and sacrifice had built beautiful communities up and down the territory. But at this point, the memorial took a rather sharp turn. The federal government, it read, had done nothing to assist them in all of these efforts. To the contrary, the federal government regularly sent false-hearted men, corrupt demagogues to rule over them, men no better than hungry hounds and yelping curs. The petition then asked, or rather demanded, that Utah either be admitted to the Union as a state or be left entirely alone. And it made it clear that any future federal appointees would be kept on a short leash and be made to obey and respect the laws of Utah. It seems that the Utah legislators did not realize there was anything unusual in the way they had worded this petition. They apparently thought that the tone and language were appropriate for red-blooded, freedom-loving Americans in a republic of citizen equals. But when the petition arrived in Washington, it sent shockwaves through the Capitol, where it read like a wild-eyed threat. It outraged the Buchanan administration, and men like Jacob Thompson, the Secretary of the Interior thought it was nothing short of a declaration of war. 
compounding the problem. Nobody in the Buchanan administration had any experience with Latter-day Saint church leaders, except for John Floyd, the Secretary of War. Eighteen years earlier, Floyd had seen future LDS apostle Jedediah M. Grant preach a sermon in Virginia. Grant was tall, gaunt, and threadbare, but he was a fiery and impassioned speaker. In fact, his preaching so impressed Floyd that Floyd immediately took up a collection to buy Grant some new clothes. But by 1857, the Buchanan administration had no real concept of what the church leaders intended. But many at the time were calling for some sort of military expedition to the Salt Lake Valley. But it left open a lot of questions. What kind of expedition? What would be the mission? Who would be the target? And under what rules of engagement? William Drummond, the disgraced one-time judge of the Utah Territory, worked feverishly to drum up support for an all-out military assault against the Latter-day Saints. In the press, he sounded a call to arms. Let all then take hold and crush out one of the most treasonable organizations in America. Once the army removed Brigham Young, Drummond had a pretty good idea about who should take over as territorial governor. He gloated to a friend, I have stirred up the waters of the saints, and I shall keep up the war for all time to come. I may go to Utah as governor, and if so, <laughs> look out for a merry time. I will take it with military aid. In a similar vein, Robert Tyler, the son of former President John Tyler, wrote to Buchanan and also supported a large-scale assault against the Latter-day Saints, but for a different reason. Using the army in an anti-Mormon crusade, he argued, could pull public attention away from the slavery conflict in Kansas. This would improve relationships between the northern and southern states by giving them a common enemy to fight. But a crusade against the Latter-day Saints would take thousands of troops. The Nauvoo Legion, the, the Utah Territorial Militia, had somewhere between four and 5,000 soldiers. Not only that, but the occasional campaigns against native tribes had given them hard-won experience fighting in the mountains and deserts of Utah. General Winfield Scott, the Army's chief of staff, thought that an Army campaign against the Latter-day Saints would need at least 4,000 soldiers. But Scott grumbled at the ill-conceived campaign. He would later write that the real reason for the campaign, from his perspective, far from being a righteous crusade, was simply so that the administration could dole out lucrative government contracts and kickbacks to open what he called a wide field for fraud and speculation. Yet others in the administration thought that a crusade was not necessary, only a show of force. Jeremiah Black, the attorney general, thought that a regiment of a thousand soldiers would do the job. In his view, all that was needed was to show the Mormons that the government was willing and able to enforce federal law. But without answering any of these questions or making clear what the purpose of the expedition was, Buchanan directed that an army of 2,500 soldiers march to the Salt Lake Valley. And on May 28, 1857, General Scott gave the order to advance an army of 2,500 men to Utah under the command of William Shelby Harney. His orders, escort Alfred Cummings, the new governor of Utah, to the Salt Lake Valley. His rules of engagement, not to attack any body of citizens whatever, except in 
sheer self-defense. Now, these strict rules of engagement made it obvious that the army was not supposed to attack the Latter-day Saints as enemy combatants. But these orders and these rules were not made public. And if Buchanan wanted the Latter-day Saints to understand that the army was not coming to kill them, he probably could not have chosen a worse commander than William Shelby Harney. And in our next episode, we'll describe how the Latter-day Saints reacted on learning that Squaw Killer Harney was on his way. Thank you for joining us in our new season of Adventures in Mormon History. For the material and sources in this season, we owe a special thanks to Utah War historian Bill McKinnon. His excellent two-volume set, At Sword's Point, the Documentary History of the Utah War, is available on Amazon and Google Books. A link to these and other sources can be found in the show notes. I'm your host, Nate Olson.